I'd like to invite you now to open your Bibles with me to Jude, the epistle of Jude. And we'll also be reading a passage from Jeremiah as well this evening. Jeremiah 23. But first we'll begin with our sermon text from the epistle of Jude. And then we'll look over to Jeremiah chapter 23 starting in verse 16. Just by way of introduction, getting our bearings back to where we are in the book of Jude, I'd remind you that Jude is writing to this beloved congregation to them to remind them to contend for the faith, exhorting them to this call, this, this action to fight for the faith, to defend what you've received through the apostles, the truth once delivered to all the saints. This gospel that you received, it's sure, it's complete, it's finished. You can trust it. You can put your confidence in it. You don't need to be looking for any developments to it. What you've received from the apostles, this gospel that you've heard, you can bank on it. Every part of it. And then he warns them that there are false teachers who have come. Certain people he calls them. He also calls them ungodly people. He says they've crept in unnoticed into the congregation. People within the church have crept in unnoticed. Certain people who are ungodly people who, when they hear this gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and what God has done through him, they pervert the grace of God and the sensuality. Whoa. And then, as, as they hear the gospel that you've received, that you believe in about the Lord and his anointed King Jesus, who cannot be overcome, who cannot be defeated, that we just sang about, he says, they don't only pervert the grace of God, they deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Certain people, ungodly people, who are in the church, in the fellowship of those who have put their confidence in what God has said in and through the good news of Jesus Christ, these people pervert that and deny Jesus his rightful reign and rule. It's with this that we come to the text now. Verse 5 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example of under, by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, 
swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is God's word. Let's give him thanks. Our great and glorious God, we thank you that you have spoken your word to us, that we received what has been written. We put our faith and we put our confidence, we put our hope and trust in Jesus, and through him we have eternal life. And in him, we are secure, we are kept, we are called to you, loved by you, kept for Jesus Christ, and nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you that those who have trusted and believed on Jesus are safe but yet there might be those who have not yet put their confidence in the Lord Jesus this evening. Lord, may they hear this warning. May they hear this woe. And may we all walk out here rejoicing that we have received the word of God once delivered to all the saints. And we commit ourselves to contending for it, to fighting for it, to making our witness sure and loud and confident that Jesus is our master and Lord, and we delight in the grace of God our Father. We pray this, that you do this work by your spirit and your word, working salvation in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me now to Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Jeremiah 23, verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. This too is the word of the Lord. In the first century, there was a practice called midrash. Midrash. And this practice of preaching, this practice of teaching, this practice of exegesis was something that the rabbis would do. But Jude actually takes up this practice of midrash and applies it here to his letter, to his epistle. Simply, midrash is just a fancy word of saying, taking up an Old Testament text, explaining that text, and applying it directly to a contemporary situation. So, midrash, taking up an Old Testament text teaching about that text, and then applying it to a contemporary situation. Judah's going to do that six times over in this text. 
Um, I don't know if you knew this when you came tonight. You're going to get a two for one. Uh, you get two sermons. I mean, two sermons and one sermon tonight. Because that's what Jude does. He, he works this technique of midrash, preaching two different sermons using six different Old Testament texts to preach what he needs to preach about these false teachers. And he uses the Old Testament in such a way as to waken up his audience to what they've already heard, what they've already received through the teaching of the apostles, but also through the Old Testament that they've heard, preached and proclaimed. He reminds them, wakes them up to what's going on in their midst. So taking up an Old Testament text, explaining that text and applying it to a contemporary situation. He begins in verse 5 saying, now I want to remind you, implying you already know this. You've heard this as people of the word. You know your Old Testament. You're not like those people living in the 21st century trying to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament so they can be more merciful, more kind, whatever it is that people are trying to do to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. You're not like those people. You love the Old Testament is what Jude is saying to this church. And you too, Second Reformed Presbyterian Church, love the Old Testament. We're not trying to unhitch ourselves from anything. We're actually hitching it onto our truck, chaining it up and putting a bunch of locks on it because that's how important the Old Testament is to us. Because it's through the Old Testament that we really begin to understand who Christ is. But we also learn about the judgment that is to come. And so Jude says, I want to remind you of what you already know. Don't try to detach yourself from what you've heard, what you received. What you received is complete. It's perfect. It's full. Hold on to it. This faith, once delivered to all the saints, you know about it. And I made a promise to you two weeks ago that I said in in verse 4 when he says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, I said I would unpack that and use it as a springboard to get into our text tonight. And that's what I want to do. Jude's writing to them, reminding them of what had been prophesied long ago in the Old Testament concerning these false teachers, these certain people who have crept in unnoticed. This is nothing new. You should not be surprised by it. It was promised in the Old Testament. Jesus said that there would be those who come in and try to overthrow the elect. Paul says that there will be those who creep into the church and try to overthrow the church. And Jude's saying, they're here. It was prophesied long ago. They're designated for this condemnation. Well, what's the condemnation? He says, I remind you, although you once fully knew it. That's the important thing about remembering, isn't it? You might have heard something, but you need to keep rehearsing it keep reciting it so you don't forget it. And this is what he reminds them of. First, there's a warning. And this warning is set set out in this way. No one is an authority unto himself. That's our first heading is this warning is no one is an authority to himself. And he uses three Old Testament texts to show us what he's trying to get at. First, he says that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Numbers 14. We know the story. God had saved the people, saved the Hebrew people out of the land of slavery. He brings them to the borders of the new land. He sends in 12 spies. Ten were bad and, ten were bad and two were good. You know the song. Joshua and Caleb. They go into the land, 
They see the fruit of the land. They see the beauty of the land. They see the giants of the land too. They see it all. But they're like, this is a great land. Let's go. But 10 people were like, they say go, we say no. We'll be destroyed. And they led the people astray, 10 spies led the people astray. And for that unbelief, for that sin of unbelief, God said, this people will not enter into my land. Numbers 14, you can go back and read that text. That's the text that Jude is appealing to. That the Lord saved, get that, Jesus saved a people out of the land of Egypt. He is able to deliver you out of slavery. He's able to deliver you in the land. Do you believe it? The angel of the Lord that stopped Pharaoh's army at the Red Sea is still the angel of the Lord that's traveling with you. A cloud by day and a fire by night. He's still with you, able to deliver you. Do you believe? They did not believe. This is really important for us because this is the congregation of the redeemed who were brought out of the land of Egypt. One way of thinking about it, it was the visible church. Those who were saved, Paul will say that they were baptized into Moses. They crossed the Red Sea, all of them. They drank of the rock, all of them. They ate the bread of heaven. And if we think of this in terms of sacramental life, this is the church, right? You want to know who they are, where they are? There they are. They're the ones who were baptized into Moses. They're the ones who drank from the rock. They're the ones who eat the bread from heaven. But they did not believe and they were destroyed. Warning, warning to us that even in the visible church, there are those who partake, whose names are on the rolls, who live within the life of the congregation, who still don't believe. Heed the warning. Are you putting your confidence in Christ, the one who has saved you? Are you putting your confidence in Christ, the one who's going to deliver you? Are you putting your, your confidence in Jesus, not only the one who saved you, not only the one who's delivered you, but the one who promised to glorify you? Is your confidence in him? Is your confidence in your ability to save yourselves? Well, those who did not believe, they were destroyed because they did not trust in the one who saves. They were in the rolls, but they had no faith. Brothers and sisters, let that be a warning to us. No one is an authority unto himself. You cannot say, Jesus brought me here, but I don't think he can take me there. That's taking your autonomous will and putting it in place of God's promise. God brought me here, but I've got to, I got to work it out the rest of the way. No, if he's brought you here, he's promised to take you there. Trust him, believe on him, because unbelief leads to destruction. Warning number one. The second text he brings up is in Genesis chapter six is what um, Jude is appealing to, but it says this in verse, verse six of Jude. It says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Those fallen angels who rebelled against the authority, the reign, and the rule of a glorious God. 
these angels have disobeyed, rebelled in such a way that they took their position of authority and said, I don't like that authority. I want my own authority. They left. They did not stay within. They abandoned the position that God had given them to do, the work that God had given them to do. And they went and sought their own will. The first illustration that we saw was people within the church. The second passage that we see, Jude takes us up into the heavens. He said, it's not just men that have a problem. It's even angels who have done this. And in Jude's mind, in the first century, and it's even in Jewish tradition and up to the fifth century of early Christian church history, this passage that Jude's talking about, the church always interpreted it, always saw it as a tie back to Genesis chapter 6, where we see that the angels who abandoned, or the sons of, sons of God abandoned their place and came down and dwelt among the sons of uh, man and women, and they began to take wives for themselves. The early church saw that as not just glorious men who were royally, royally good at sinning, but they were actually fallen angels who sought to overcome men to have sexual relations with women. And they increased in the earth, and their evil increased in the earth. And Jude is thinking that these are those angels, these fallen ones, who've rebelled and taken their own authority into their hands and done what they would do. And it says that God actually judges them. They left their proper dwelling, so they leave the place that they were supposed to be. And notice the words here. He has kept in. You're kept for Jesus Christ, but the angels who rebelled, they're kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. God is powerful to keep those who rebel under the judgment that he has for them. These angels in the heavenlies rebelled against God. They took their own authority. They became what they thought was autonomous beings, but God showed his power and subdued them and captured them, putting them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Warning, no one is an authority unto himself. Even angels are under God's authority and must obey his word. Another illustration that he gives from the Old Testament is in verse 7. So he talks about these angels who come down and have relations with women. But then he goes into verse 7. He says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. He brings us back down to the earth. So we've been in the church he takes us up into the heavenlies and see the rebellion of angels. Now he brings us back down into the earth. And he takes us to Sodom and Gomorrah and he uses them as an illustration. But notice what Jude does here. This is very interesting. He says those angels that had relations with women, Sodom and Gomorrah's sin, was that they indulged in sexual immorality, men seeking to take the... Um, to go into um, the angels in Genesis chapter 19. The men of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah were knocking at the door, scraping at the door, trying to get the angels 
men who are looking for unnatural desire and pursuing unnatural relations. So angels come and they pursue the women. Now here you have men knocking at the door, scraping at the door, trying to take control of the visiting angels to commit homosexual acts with them. Brothers and sisters, take warning. No one is an authority unto himself. First, what we saw with Egypt was this unbelief, this apostasy. Secondly, what we saw with the fallen angels was their desire to be autonomous, self-powerful, like self-willing, self-ruled. And here what we have now in this Old Testament illustration is immorality, gross immorality. Men seeking to have immoral relationships with the visiting angels. But what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? They serve as an example to us by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. God judges them. Brothers and sisters, take warning. Those who teach against the good news of what God has done in and through the person of Jesus Christ, those who pervert the grace of God, they will be judged. Those who deny our only master and Lord, they will be judged. That's what he's doing. Here are these texts to show you that God has promised to do this to those who rebel against his word. No one is an authority unto himself. We must all submit to the word of God. We must all submit to the faith once delivered to us. We must contend for it, insist upon it, fight for it. Because the truth is false teachers will emerge They will rise up even in our midst. But brothers and sisters, God's word stands. And to submit to it, there's joy and freedom and salvation. But to deny it, there's judgment, destruction, and punishment to come. False teachers will emerge, but God's word stands. Take warning. Then he applies the text to his contemporary situation. He says, you know about those who rebelled in the, in the wilderness. You know about the fallen angels. You know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 8, yet in like manner, these people, those certain people, the ungodly people, those who've crept in, they also relying on their dreams. They're just like what he just shared with us. Relying on their dreams, not relying on the word of God, not declaring the gospel and teaching from the word of God, not even appealing to the Old Testament. No, their authority is their dreams. He says, relying on their dreams, what do they do? They're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. They defile the flesh. They live in immorality. Those who rely on their dreams, what are they like? They reject authority, just like the fallen angels. They see themselves as as autonomous as self-governing, self-ruling. They have no king but their own hearts. They reject authority. These certain ungodly people, they're just like those who were in the wilderness who had seen the powerful salvation of the angel of the Lord. 
but they blaspheme the glorious ones. The angel that delivered them from Pharaoh is also the angel that can deliver them from the hand of the Canaanites. These glorious ones are the, are the angels that give them the laws Paul even talks about. That give them the word of God, the messengers of God that Hebrews 2 talks about. They blaspheme the witness of the glorious ones. They blaspheme the witness of angels. They blaspheme the witness of even the apostles. And this word blaspheme, what does that even mean? Blasphemy is when you speak or act with authority that you do not possess. To blaspheme is to speak or to act with authority that you do not possess. You take someone else's authority to yourself and you act and you speak with that authority, but it doesn't belong to you. They blaspheme the glorious ones. They speak against the gospel. They deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They pervert the grace of our God. And they do that by relying on their own dreams. And we saw that in Jeremiah 23, that there's these teachers who've gone out who speak as if they have the authority to speak with the authority of God. And Yahweh says, I did not send them. I haven't, they have not come to me. They've not heard from me and I did not send them, but yet they run leading my people astray. That's what false teachers always do. They run out in their own authority and they never appeal to God. Or if they do, they twist it to where it's so mangled and so twisted that it doesn't even sound like the gospel anymore. It sounds like what these certain people were doing, turning the grace of God into license. But there's the flip side of what the Galatian church was experiencing. They were twisting the gospel and then turning it into legalism. False teachers rely on their own words and their own authority. But here's the warning. No one is an authority unto himself. And then he gives us an illustration of what it really looks like to live underneath God's authority. What it looks to live as one who's really under God's authority. Verse 9 says, (coughs) excuse me. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So he finishes with an illustration from a contemporary document in Jude's own day. First century, there's a contemporary document floating around. People are reading it. It's a Jewish apocalyptic document called the testimony of Moses or the assumption of Moses. And it speaks of Michael, the archangel fighting over the body of Moses. And this document's popular. The early church would have heard this illustration and go, oh yeah, the testimony of of Moses, the assumption of Moses. Yeah, read that. It's like um, if I was to use an illustration from like the screw tape letters or, which is not too contemporary, um, but maybe something from a film that you've seen or a a movie that you've watched, or maybe it's like something like Avengers or Star Wars, or not that I would ever use a Star Wars illustration, but I would use a Tolkien illustration and I would use a Lewis illustration because most of you have probably at least read it, I hope, or seen the movies. Eh. 
But he's using something from contemporary times to illustrate his points. And there's this apocalyptic story going around called the testimony of the assumption of Moses, uh, and Jude uses it. And he uses it to illustrate his point. Even Michael will not take authority that he does not possess to judge the devil. Notice what he says. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. What is Michael modeling for us? What is Michael showing for us? An angel, the archangel. What is he showing for us? That we are all under God's authority, and it is not for us to take what is God's and use it for our own good. Even Michael would not pronounce a blasphemous judgment. He would not speak or act with authority that he did not possess. Neither should we. So learn, listen, pay attention to what you already know. How do you contend the faith? You keep trusting in what God has said. And when you see false teachers emerge, you're not surprised because here's the thing. False teachers will emerge. God's word stands. Stand there. What are we going to do with false teachers? You keep contending for the faith. God's the one who's going to bring the judgment. Did you hear me? You continue to contend for the faith. God is the one who will bring judgment. And so he goes into his second sermon, and this one's much shorter. But he says to them, and this is our second heading, it's a sermon of woe. It's a sermon of woe. He says in verse 11, woe to them. Caution. Pay attention. The judgment has not yet come, but it is coming Woe to you. Remember what Isaiah said when he, in Isaiah chapter 6, woe to me. For a, Nathan's paraphrase, I'm a dead man. I'm as good as dead. I'm a man with unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. There's the holy, glorious God, and I'm a goner. Woe is me. And Jude says, woe to them. Unless they turn, unless they hear, woe to them. And here's the woe. No one rejecting God's authority will escape the coming judgment. Woe to those who reject God's word. Woe to those who reject God's king. Woe to those who reject God's authority. Because no one rejecting God's authority will escape the coming judgment. And he says, woe to them. And he gives us three more Old Testament stories to remember what he's saying. And he says, first, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain. Jews not just simply saying Cain was a murderer and they're murderers too. But go further back. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, before he murders his brother Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Do you know what it says? And God said to him, God spoke to him, slow down, Cain. Why is your face so downcast? If you do good, will you not be accepted? 
Sin is crouching at your door, desiring to overtake you, but you must overtake it. God speaks his word to Cain, and Cain walks away. He goes his own way, and he takes his brother's life. And what follows after Cain's line? And what do men often do? They walk in the way of Cain. They hear the word of God. They're warned by the preaching of Yahweh. And they turn and they go their own way. These false teachers, woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain. And then he says, and then they abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. There's our second Old Testament figure. And if you're wondering about Balaam, you can go back to Numbers 22 through 31, chapter 22 through chapter 31, and read about Balaam. But particularly, chapter 31, verse 6, it says that Balaam is the one who led the people astray. He caused the people of God to sin in immorality and sexual immorality. And they were destroyed, and Balaam was destroyed with them for leading the people astray. The error of Balaam, literally error means the wandering. Notice they're in the wilderness. They're wandering in the wilderness. Comes Balaam, and he causes them to wander in his greedy way. But he also leads them astray. So they too, false teachers, for the sake of their own gain, wander and lead people to wander with him, just like Balaam. Have you noticed the difference here? We were talking about the church and angels and Sodom and Gomorrah as communities earlier. But now we're talking about individual teachers who lead people astray. Individuals who lead people astray. Just like Cain, just like Balaam. And he says, and perished in Korah's rebellion. They also perished in Korah's rebellion. Number 16, Korah rises up against God's appointed leader, Moses and Aaron. And he causes the people, he instructs the people, he teaches the people to rebel with him. And God destroys those who follow after Korah. Woe to those false teachers who reject God's authority. There is judgment to come. They will be overtaken. And then what Jude does here is he's trying to get into the hearts and to the minds of this congregation just like a pastor will often try to do. He doesn't go into the realm of prose. He needs to get deeper into their hearts and deeper into their imaginations. So what does he pick up? He he picks up the poet's pen. He says, I don't know if you're getting it, so let me sing it to you. Let me write in a way that you can actually see these pictures. He takes up the poet's pen and he describes those who are leading these saints astray. He says, they are hidden reefs at your love feast. The church is like a ship sitting in a cove, but there's these reefs underneath that cause it to be destroyed and could cause it to sink if it runs up on the reefs. Be careful of them. Pay attention to them. They're out to overcome you. And where do they do it? At your love feast. The place where you meet to commune with God and to commune with one another. As they feast without fear, they do it without fear. Woe to them. Then he says they're shepherds feeding themselves. Ezekiel, we'll talk about this in Ezekiel chapter 34. 
The shepherds are supposed to feed the sheep, but what we find there is the shepherds are feeding on the sheep. That's a stark difference. These are shepherds who are feeding themselves, gorging them on your very life together. Woe to them. They're waterless clouds swept along by winds. Have you ever been in the desert and you see clouds rolling in and you're thinking, it's really hot. A cool down would be really nice. And you see these massive storm clouds rolling in and you're out in the desert thinking, we're going to get a shower. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to cool down. And it comes and the clouds split and go right around the desert. They just pass right over, no water, no refreshment. These teachers are just like that. You see them coming, you're going, they're going to refresh us, but they have nothing to refresh you with. They're waterless clouds blown along by the winds. They cannot refresh the people of God because all they have is their dreams. And the only thing that refreshes the people of God is the word of God. Jesus speaks of fountains of living water when he speaks about the Spirit coming, when the Spirit speaks through his apostles and when the Spirit speaks through preachers and pastors and teachers, you get refreshed by the water. But these are waterless clouds. And then he says, they're fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead and uprooted. You go to a tree in the autumn time and it's starting to die, it's starting to go down into that deep winter sleep and you go to look for fruit and there's nothing there. But then you realize there's nothing there because the tree is dead. That's once dead. Then you uproot it. That's twice dead. And nobody goes to a bonfire looking for apples. You go to a tree that's dead, you cut it up, you uproot it, you throw it into a pile, and then you set it on fire. Nobody's looking for the apples around the bonfire pit. That's what these people are like. You go to a dead tree that's been uprooted, and you're looking for fruit. There's no fruit. You'll know them by their fruits. They're dead. They're uprooted. They will be destroyed. They're wild waves as the sea. When the sea gets churned up, when it gets to blowing, when it gets to gusting, it stirs up all that's on the bottom, the muck and the grime. And that's what they're like. They speak, they teach, they're loud, they're charismatic, but they're casting up the foam of their own shame. There's nothing there that's good for you. They're wandering stars. Stars by which we navigate the ocean. Stars by which we navigate the evening and the night. But have you ever tried to navigate by a wandering star? It's always moving. It's lost. And those who follow wandering stars, they're lost too. So it is with these teachers and those who follow after them. And here's where he ends. He lands with this judgment for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. These men, these teachers, woe to them. No one rejecting God's authority will escape the coming judgment. And again, remember, they're not outsiders preaching on TVs right now. They're people who creep in and sneak in within the church. Pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you've been taught. 
Pay attention to what is preached. Pay attention to what is being talked about in prayer meetings and Bible studies and just little get-togethers where you're, it's just mutual encouragement. Pay attention that you're hearing the word of God, not the words of men. That you're hearing what God has said, not what men have dreamt about. Because those who speak on their own authority, rejecting God's authority, the gloom of utter darkness, what has been reserved for the fallen angels, is also reserved for them. Hear this word. Forever. Forever is a really long time. But we haven't entered it yet. So the warning and the woe is this. You've heard the gospel of what God has done in and through the personal work of Jesus Christ. You've heard the faith once delivered. Are you putting your confidence in Jesus? Are you trusting him? Are you rejoicing in the grace of God that's been given to you? Are you looking to just have a license and permission to sin more? Warning, woe to you. Are you gladly submitting yourself underneath the gracious reign and rule of King Jesus? Or are you rebelling against him? Well, what can we do? I'll give this to you simply as by way of application. What can we do to fend off this danger? How can we contend for the faith? Brothers and sisters, submit to God's authority. Go to the faith once for all delivered and put yourself underneath the grace of God in Christ Jesus and meditate on it and think about it. Submit to the word of God. Don't forget. He reminds them because they know. Don't you forget. Keep reminding yourself of what God has said concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and how you are to live. Submit to God's authority. Secondly, warn those who reject God's authority. I didn't say war with those. I said warn them, just as Jude has done. Tell them the Bible stories. Do your own midrash with them. Contend for the faith by warning those who reject God's authority. Maybe you know someone right now who comes to mind who says one thing but lives a whole another way. Warn them. Warn them. Thirdly, wait on God. Just like Michael, wait on God. He will judge. God will be the judge. Wait on him. How can we wait on him? We can wait on him by trusting in his word, remembering what he has said. Memorize the word of God. If you memorize it, that implies that you won't forget it. I have students that cram to do a recitation, but they're not memorizing. They're just trying to pass a test. But I say, memorize this. Get this down into your heart so that you can memorize it, so that you can remember it, so that you can recite it. And if you can recite it, you can declare it. You can proclaim it. You can preach it to yourself. You can recite this over and over, and then you can rehearse it. You can read yourself into the story and meditate on it and contemplate on it. And then you will find out the more you eat of the scriptures, the more you will become what you eat. Fully submitted to God's word. Living God's word. Lastly, and this has actually been the one that just is so important.
weep over those who persist in the rebellion. The greatest danger of preaching texts like this, the greatest danger of studying texts like this is we just walk away and go, hmm. And we don't hear the warning. And we don't hear the woe. Because the reason he tells us this is false teachers will emerge. But God's word stands. Warn them, but warn them with tears. Weep, because destruction will come. But salvation is at hand if they will turn and believe on the Lord Jesus. Not denying our master and Lord, but submitting to our master and Lord. Let this be true of us as we consider to pursue the Lord together and pursue the grace of God in Christ Jesus, contending for the faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've called us into your fellowship, into the beloved, that you've redeemed us and you've saved us. But Lord, I pray even now that we would continue in the faith, that we would continue to keep ourselves in the love of God as you keep us for Jesus Christ. That Lord, even now, that we would search our hearts, we would put ourselves to the test and and see that we are trusting and believing and, and putting our confidence in Christ. That Lord, that we would not turn from him, but that we would submit to him. Because we know that false teachers will emerge, but your word still stands. And we surrender and submit to it. Even now, we pray in Jesus, our King's name. Amen.